A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously, but the rugby podcast... That is there for you every single Monday morning. For getting on for 11 seasons now, over 10 years of this, and thank you very much for for listening. If you haven't already, hit subscribe, get extra content at patreon.com forward slash eggchasers, and we will On YouTube. I'll get to that in a second, Jay. Okay. Uh, I was just letting you finish your mastication over there. <laughs> is that what you call it? <laughs> nice bit of cheese, was it? Yeah, it's delicious. Lovely. Lo- uh, low-fat cathedral, cathedral sissy. Lovely. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, we are going to do a Patreon podcast this evening. We are, boys. All right? Yes. So All right. E- extra content. And, and in that, we, um, we're gonna, we, we are going to delve into some, some areas that we might, for legal reasons, not want to speak candidly... Uh, on this podcast. Yeah, and we'll be dealing with cultural stuff which idiot solicitors that bother emailing into the show don't don't like. So I'm really looking forward to that. I can't believe how simple some people that email us are. We get loads of great emails. Yeah, most, as well. of them are, most, most of them are good. Some of them are so painfully simple. We get some tremendous ones. And if you want to email, you can get in touch with us at contacttechchasers at gmail.com. You've already heard from JB. There's Phil. Hello. Uh, I've, I'm looking at the bottom of Phil's shoes and he's got continental tread trainers and that, <laughs> that's in contrast with JB's bare OnlyFans ready feet. Mm-hmm. We're good to go on the podcast. Obviously building up to the Six Nations round four coming up this weekend and we'll, I'm sure, despite the fact there's you know, no premiership to talk about, there's a bit of URC, there's a bit of Super Rugby and there's some Six Nations, we'll still manage to stretch this out into a marathon podcast talking 100%. about some sort of nonsense. So um, rest, rest assured in that one. Where shall we start? What, what's the news of the week been? Um, has there been much this week? It's been pretty quiet, hasn't it? It, has, it, has, it feels pretty quiet news-wise. I'm 100% for getting rid of one of these two fellow weeks in the Six Nations. We've said it for yeah. years. It just it just drags it out. And especially from our perspective, because we primarily co- cover um, English rugby, having no premiership, historically you would have premiership games now. Yeah. Well, premiership not cup. Much. I mean, why can't we just play the final? Yeah. Yeah. Just get over and done with. Just do something. It's not to say there's been no rugby. There's been URC. There's been Super Rugby. There's been your Portugal, Spain. Rugby Nations Cup. Uh, there's been some sevens with Miss Mr. Dupont tearing it up predictably. Is he good at sevens? <laughs> yes. I mean, the easy thing to say would would be we think he's going to be good, but you don't know until they play. Yeah, and to be fair, I've only seen highlights, but he's beating people for pace. Um, in sevens, which, I mean, <laughs> yeah. he is a very fast nine. He's a deceptively yeah. fast nine because and strong. He's also strong as a bull. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he kind of just does everything. So yeah, 
The, ma- the best player in the world who is good at everything is good at sevens. Yeah, he's, he's good against even less players. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fewer. Fewer players. Well yeah. done. Uh, uh, so I'll tell you what, because you've just touched on that, Phil. I'm just going to kick off with an email from Nick Laver. Oh, or Lava Laver. I hope I said that right, Nick. But contact techchasers at gmail.com. He says, uh, hello, fellas. An observation and a question. And f- his first one is an observation. He says, I've been watching the start of the F1 season and Ooh. thinking about his comparison to rugby. F1's USP is that they drive really, really fast. It's very dangerous, and there's been a number of fatalities down the years, but F1 decided to limit... But if F1 decided to limit speed limits, the sport would be finished, because the whole point is they drive fast, a la physicality in rugby. That's an observation. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they have had safety uh, improvements well, yeah, made. Yeah, just on that, I, I read that email. Um, nice thought. Um, with F1... Their problem is, very similar to rugby, is that there's lots of incremental improvements over time. So you look at the rugby players, they're getting incrementally heavier, stronger, more powerful. So we've always had big lads, but I don't think we've ever had big lads that were so powerful, and that would be one of the key differences. Um, And therefore, you're constantly chasing your tail, trying to add rules to sort of limit this power. F1's kind of the same. I mean, the cars are not slower than what they used to be. Actually, I think they are slower than what they used to be. But then they accelerate faster or they turn turn faster or something else happens. And as long as it's within the laws of physics, they get faster and faster and faster. And I think F1 has a similar problem, which is they're constantly changing the rules to limit just the the raw ability of of these cars. So I think there is a good comparison there. Mm. But the key is not to trash the sport. And F1 knows not to do that. Rugby does not. We can talk about that a little bit more in the Patreon pod in light of what Simon Massey-Taylor has said this week. So mm. just a little tease there to the Patreon podcast. Yeah, I don't watch F1. Do you not? No, not That's at all. Me. Yeah, because I, I like cars as well. Yeah, you do. I'm a bit of a, a car guy, but I've just never found F1 that interesting. But I do know they have, exactly as you've said, JB, huge number. The regulations that... Um, prescribe almost every aspect of the car in order to make it, uh, but to limit certain aspects, which probably, well, they will definitely limit the top speed. They will definitely um, restrict that in some way, but also to make it safer. But I think the the key point is that um, that it doesn't change the overall F one because it pushes it down a more strategic mm. um, manner. So, like, certainly, it pushes all the cars. I guess it's it's probably more like the salary cap in that it pushes more consistency. The more tightly you reg- regulate the parameters that the car can be designed to, and everyone gets narrower and narrower parameters down the same um, same path, then... There is more consistency, therefore strategic decisions become... Yeah, hang on a minute. They have hang on. greater influence. But you're assuming one thing, right, which is the regulations are adhered to or they are so well written that you can't get around them. So the, I see this in financial services a lot, or bid more co-independent financial advisors, um, which is because... If you need someone to dodge the financial regulations... No, no, no. <laughs> no, don't do I'm that. Joking, joking, Absolutely joking. don't do that. Stop talking, everyone. <laughs> Great IFAs. Um, but you see, like, as the regulator tries to push you down one route, the person who manages to find out what is legal within the regulations but no one else is doing because of the group thing mm-hmm. is the one who will make the money. And it's exactly the same with F1. As soon as somebody works out how to make something or do something outside of the regulations, which no one else is doing, 
then they start winning. And I tell you, then that either yeah. gets, then that either leads. So you have a couple of seasons of, yeah, of yeah. success, and then it leads to either everyone copies that model, or that model gets regulated against. Well, you end up solving for the wrong thing, don't you? So rather than solving for how do we make the car go as fast as we can, or how do we make the salary cap as efficient as possible, or how do we deliver financial services within this framework? Like St James's Place has found out when they're trying to cheat the system, um, they clo- they close the loophole. But you end up solving, trying to solve to beat the regulation rather than beat each other. And moving it back to rugby, yeah. and just to build on what Phil says, you just described England after the last World Cup. <laughs> oh, South Africa won by having really good scrum. Let's buy their scrum coach. Yeah. Oh, South Africa won because they're they're, they're they've evolved their attack or their defence. Their defence. Let's, let's just uh, buy, let's, let's get Felix Jones. Felix in. Jones. Yeah. Yeah. And the first thing Felix Jones come uh, does is walks in the building and goes, "Where is Peter Stafford's toy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, where's Quack Smith? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where's, I need these the, tools. Where's the Alandi? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so thank you for that, Nick. Uh, his question after that observation was, has this break for the Premiership... Which is, oh, we're not answering this question. Brilliant. <laughs> no, no, it was just an observation. This, yeah, okay. the, the question, and this is actually what prompted it, is because Phil mentioned something along these lines, or, or uh, in this area. He says, has this break for the Premiership during the Six Nations been damaging to the league? I, this is Nick, think not, as the league has very, mu- very much played second fiddle during this period. Your thoughts? So, yeah... Um, I think it is damaging in one way because it's an enormous break. Like, I, I can't remember what's going on in the league uh, and we cover a hell of a lot of rugby. Yeah. Um, I'll need to refresh myself before the next round of Premiership games. But yeah. he's right in that it's, it definitely plays second fiddle and this is where the point that we've made in the past is you should have um, stratified periods of time where you just do domestic and then you just do the kind of... Uh, international club game or the European mm. club game and um, wider club game the and then the, you just do internationals the way yeah. that New Zealand do it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, the southern hemisphere model historically if you think exactly like of the momentum that those premiership teams were building just before Six Nations I don't remember English rugby being this good for maybe five years uh, stadiums looked full teams were playing well all those narratives were building, all of the atmospheres were building, and then it just stops. Oh, just, so when they all come back, like, yeah. are you going to be that motivated to go and watch? I mean, you might be because of all the stars from the Six Nations that are returning. So maybe you are, maybe Bath's a bad example. But are you going to be the same for Harlequins, or are you going to be yeah. the same for anyone else? Well, Any, anyone who's got something in the league yeah. still to go, you will yeah. be. There'll be... Any deciding yeah. games, the, the fans but will without, turn up. And, the fans will turn up and do it, and I think actually the games will get relatively more viewership than they will do overall because people don't care about the games that get put on during the during the Six Nations. It's it's a total afterthought. Yeah. But just I think spare a thought for some of those players who are having to do like another preseason. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this the other day. They are doing effectively a preseason. It's like a, almost a maintenance preseason. But do, do you do you actually feel sorry for them? Oh, so I, I don't. I don't. I, don't, I think it's going to be. Oh, quite Phil, a Phil would love break. the idea I, just to go and yeah, very much like a preseason run. Yeah, yeah, I hate. I hated preseason. Yeah, I, I did. I still probably hate preseason. Now. I like playing rugby. I don't like preseason, but but you like CrossFit. I do like CrossFit. Weirdly, um, but for those guys, it's probably a welcome relief to get healthy again and fit. Yeah, because they always say the that you start the season the fittest you're going to be, the strongest you're going to be, as a gradual decline. So actually, mm. just topping up on that fitness, topping up on that strength, isn't a terrible <laughs> but if thing you, to do. But if you did want to make uh, the the money that is available, and there's not as much as the clubs and rugby in general would like, if you did want to get it to stretch further, then you wouldn't have players at your club for twelve months of the year in the way that they do. 
so intensely. Like actually, as 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 Phil said, you could you could achieve if everyone actually gets around a table and the odd turkey does vote for Christmas and <laughs> solve this um and um global season issue, you could have the premiership in one block. Actually yeah, but- it's a confined period and then you can follow the stories. As Phil said, the biggest issue is right, if you asked Anyone other than an absolute diehard rugby nose, what's going on in the Premiership? I haven't got a clue. I could probably tell you Newcastle are terrible. Yeah, yeah that's about uh, Gloucester haven't won for ages, and I don't know. Northampton who, who, have been who, good. Who's top? Don't know. Yeah, yeah Northampton. You do look. You do lose touch quickly, in, including myself. Uh, um, just for the, about the turkeys voting for Christmas points. It's not quite that because. The vote that needs to be made, or the change that needs to be made, is effectively moving the Six Nations. And I think the reason this is so problematic is because you're playing with the unknown. Now, I love Six Nations in this block, in the spring. It feels nice to me. It feels historic, and you know, it's got all the history of this time of year, and I love it. Um, but the worry is, if you move it, it won't have the same impact. And we don't know if it will, or we don't know if it won't, but as it's the thing... And the only thing which pays for everything other than a World Cup. Yeah. Why would you mess with that? Because, because everything is so dependent on it. You might get a better premiership, but if the Six Nations fails, rugby fails. See, I, I don't think you need to move the Six Nations. Because that could be the, the fixed focal point of everything else. Mm. But then everything else needs to move. So the premiership before the Six Nations, Europe after the Six Nations. Uh, yeah. Well, so the, the biggest money spinner is international rugby. Yep. So Six Nations stays where it is. You've then got two other blocks of international rugby. You've got the summer tours and then the autumn internationals. Now, World Rugby has already started making moves to shift that with the this global calendar thing where the, all the Tier 1 teams play against each other across a two-year the period. The Nations Cup. So you would need to move those either to directly before or directly after, or a split. So you have, say, your summer... your Let's say your... Autumn internationals become your Christmas internationals um, that lead in there like warm-ups for the Six Nations. You have your Six Nations, and then to kind of celebrate afterwards, you have your um, tours, your late spring tours, where Ireland go to South Africa, say. And then you get into the other calendars. So maybe a three-month break, then Premiership, then Europe, then back into the international. Mm. So you can definitely, like, you don't have to move the Six Nations to do it. It's the tours which are a problem. It they become a problem because, because they're immediately after that that period. I mean, I say the pro- problem. This is very narrow-minded from me as a Northern Hemisphere rugby fan. Not, I'm not a fan of Southern Hemisphere, but nevertheless. When the Southern Hemisphere teams come, they can play four teams quite comfortably in one tour. You simply can't do that if you're going... I mean, you no. could go to and, South Africa. And yet, what you're, about, what you're about to go on and say is exactly what World Rugby have currently got proposed for yep. this World Nations Cup. England, yeah, get rid of the tools. Say, Eng, let's take England as an example. They will play the other five teams in, um, in the, the Northern Hemisphere top six during the Six Nations. Fine, those are ticked off in February, March. Then they will play three of the Southern Hemisphere teams in July away. So South Africa, New Zealand, Australia. Which would mean prob- probably <laughs> in consecutive weekends playing in different continents. I mean, not only is that not healthy, it's just, I mean, it's not good for athletes. Um, 
and I'm not a global warming guy. I am not. <laughs> I want to be very clear on this. I'm not a global warming guy at all. But I'm the authorities concerned. tell us they are. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. When Bill Beaumont's saying we want the most sustainable World Cup, I don't know what he wants <coughs> to do, feed people crickets at half-time or something. But when he's, ask, when he's asking for that, you can't really say we're going to fly the Southern Hemisphere team and Northern Hemisphere teams around the Southern Hemisphere like it's nothing. Saturday, week one, England, you're playing in, in Cape Town. Saturday, week two, you're playing in Buenos Aires. Saturday, week three, you're playing Tokyo. in Wellington. What? And then week four, you're playing in Buenos Aires. Oh, just insane. Yeah. yeah. It's just not... I mean, look, I... I no, it just doesn't even make sense for me. And I, it does make sense for me from a sporting point of view, if they had from all a cost of, point of view. What if you had yeah. all of those? And, and the other problem is, if you did what some people have suggested, which is like you go, uh, we're going to Vegas and all of the games are going to be there over one weekend. I'm listening. That's, or over, over consecutive weekends. That sounds cool. But then the, the flip side of that is then, so 2026, you, you're in Vegas with a big tournament with all of the world's teams getting together and playing, a, playing games one year before a World Cup. And, sounds like a World yeah, Cup to me. And one of, the, one of the key benefits of those summer tours and the um, Autumn Internationals is it brings a load of money in for those ho- the unions hosting it. Yeah. Mm. Which you, you just lose if you do it in Vegas or Dubai or wherever. And you, well, unless, of course, the home union hosts the game in Dubai. Yeah, but they'll still be. They're not going to be taking as much money in. One would assume. Well, it's Twickenham. Yeah. Well, the RFU own that stadium. Yes. So I don't think South Africa have a national stadium, do they? In the same way that I don't think New Zealand have a national stadium. South Africa got a lot of national stadiums for the um, 2010 Football World Cup. <laughs> yeah, yeah they true. built an incredible number. Some of them right next door to existing yeah. fifty thousand seater stadiums. Some, a lot of people got very rich from those stadiums, yeah. didn't they? <laughs> Anyway, thank you, Nick, for uh, sparking off those thoughts. And I don't know if we're any closer to thinking about any of them. But I, all, all, let's, let's, yeah, the, the only other thing I'd say is yeah. if, if you time, there need to be again some stratification of the kind of higher level and lower level rugby because I can see doing what I just described before, which I've never thought about <laughs> before, but having say Christmas internationals six followed by Six Nations followed by some kind of tour, TBC. So you've got a three-month period, four-month period of solid international rugby. You could run all of your, the majority of your lower-level club rugby in that period, and you set up all your kickoff times so that they kick off immediately before international rugby. So the players and everyone who's come down to watch Toc H or BP or Sedgley... Love it, Phil. Love it. They stay in the ground and actually watch an England international or a Wales international or South Africa or New Zealand. Mm. It's too logical, Phil. There's too much joined up thinking going on there, mate. But there there could be a really big benefit for the entirety of the rugby fraternity from doing something, from everyone getting their act together and doing something like that. Rugby players and current rugby fans aren't who they're... Well, actually, again, (laughs) I was was about to say that's not who the authorities want to appeal to, but... The noises that are starting to be made, as we will talk about on the Patreon podcast, it seems like they may have started to realise the futility of that way of thinking. Do you know, like, I started the start, I started at the top of the show talking about idiots, idiots emailing in to our podcast saying, Why do you talk about culture wars? Like, you know, okay, grow up. This is the reason. This is exactly the reason. Because it is this want, or no, it's not a want. It's the original shame 
that rugby has that it doesn't like its own fans. It just doesn't really like them. Now, I'm not saying that rugby clubs don't. I'm not saying that you and I don't, or rugby players, or the clubs themselves. But the people at the very top of the game, like Bill, like Bill Sweeney, they simply do not like rugby fans, and that's why they're constantly trying to broaden out the appeal, trying to wave flags everywhere, trying to do uh, everything, hide, the, hide, yeah, hide, hide what, rugby, what is. rugby is. It's a highly masculine collision contact sport that, that, that's all it is and that's why it appeals to the crowd it, it appeals to so to make it not appeal to that crowd you have to hide that and for the best part of a decade that's what they've been doing and it's been disastrous absolutely disastrous keep your powder dry mate yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll let you go we'll let you go wild um yeah well uh, just here's one thing we've got an email here from jack simpson contact headchasers at gmail.com you'll like this one it says uh Long time listener, blah, blah. I noticed a familiar face on the London Irish Wild Geese starting lineup. I've heard this. I thought you might be interested to hear. Mm. There's a, do you know, have you seen I this don't one? know. I've not seen okay. this email. So, I'm, London Irish Wild Geese had a player lining up in the 13 jersey. Ooh. Former England international. Was he an England international, though? Yeah. Former England international. Yeah. And did, did he play? So, I don't know this at all. Did he play for London Irish? No. No. Mm, okay. Did he play 13 as his primary position? Yeah, played both uh, in, both inside and outside centre. And say. 10 and 15. Yeah, actually, mm. a little bit, yeah. Uh, let's, let's, let's say what clubs he played for. Newcastle Falcons. Toulon. Toulon. Uh, okay. Um, I think I know who it might be. Okay. Do you want some more clubs? Well, no. I, I, Northampton. Um, Did you say Northampton? Oh, yeah, I would Northampton Saints as well, yeah. Northampton. That's oh, right. Yeah, sorry. Uh, London Welsh. London Welsh, is, yep. It must be Ollie Barkley. What? How do you get that wrong? Too long. Yeah, but no, no we didn't. And London no, we didn't. He played for London well, Welsh. Hang on, hang on. Let's just, let's he just didn't stop. play for Newcastle either. Hang on, let's just stop here. Also, Ollie Barkley's CV would be dominated by Bath and Bristol. Yeah. Sorry, Bath and Gloucester. So say the clubs and, again. And Lanthi Scarlets. Uh, so the, the, the club you would most associate him with would be... Club clubs would be. I can't believe you said that. Northampton Saints. What? What in the UK? Yeah. Oh. No, Newcastle. Newcastle. Yeah, Newcastle. It's on me. Yes. Correct. God. There How he is. Get messed up. <laughs> there he is in London Just Irish wild geese. Uh, very good. good. He's got By great way, tan. He's got great tan. Lovely. He is in. I saw him in Dubai. He was great, great shape. Oh, my word, yeah. he's in good shape. <laughs> my good shape. word, he's in good shape. Yeah. Um, the only thing that looks old about him is his hair colour, and even his hair looks great. <laughs> it looks like he's dyed it. It looks like a, a young man who's dyed his hair grey. <laughs> um, so, just on Ollie Barkley, he did play in France, didn't he? He did. Um, I want to say Rassing. What a boy Ollie Maybe. Barkley was. Maybe. Loose. Yes. Like, I don't mean like that as a derogatory thing. I just mean he was just on the field, off the field. He was just a one-off. Yeah, loved scrapping with students, allegedly. That was, that was like his oh, hobby. That wasn't what I was... I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, but, but, yeah, he played two clubs, Racing and Grenoble. Oh, I didn't know Grenoble. A new no, Racing and Scarlet. came back to London Irish. Yeah. Uh, London, London Welsh. Welsh, sorry. Yeah, in those fateful years at London Welsh. I think, I think he might have done very, very well uh, in business since... Ollie rugby. Barkley or... Ollie Barkley, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I think he's done particularly well. Work for a bank, maybe, something like that? I think it might just be... No, I think he's self... I think he's just his own boss. Property, I think. Oh, very good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just... I appreciated that one, Jack. Thank you for the email. And... Oh, yeah. And also, we got an email from Tom uh, in Warwickshire. That's Olchester. Is that Olchester or 
I don't know how you pronounce that part of the world, but I'm sure it's lovely. But he says, did you notice who got a new job at, at the England and Wales Cricket Board? And their, actually, I'm delighted he as, did. As their director of cricket operations. <laughs> someone, from, <laughs> a, a, someone from rugby who regarded as an exceptional leader. Leadership skills. Uh, Stuart Hooper. I did see that a few weeks ago. Sort of delighted that this has happened to Stuart Hooper because I mean, I'm not sure he deserves it based on what he achieved at Bath (laughs) in his leadership positions. But there again, he should never have stayed at Bath. This is what he should have done to start with, which has gone somewhere else, Mm. probably in rugby, but not if he's not in rugby, fine. I think he'll probably do a good job there. Yeah, you know, a, a complete a reset man- away from the fishbowl is not a bad shout for anyone. And if it's a management rule, I yeah. think it probably is. He, he'll probably be very good at that management leadership. Yeah, I reckon he'll do better in that role than Clive Woodward did at Southampton Football yeah. Club. That's a great. That is a great podcast in of itself, isn't it? For Patreon, um, people that did worse in their roles than Stuart Hooper did <laughs> in no, is going to do a cricket. <laughs> so like Clive Woodward. Um, there, there's there's going to be some great ones. Matt Proudfoot in his England <laughs> yeah. ball. Yeah, that, that, is our, that is the bar. Uh, Stuart Hooper's predicted success in cricket and the overs and unders of people that have done various roles. So, Todd, um, Todd Blackadder. Darren Childs. Darren Childs did a far worse job than anyone else. Um, Bill Sweeney. Uh, <laughs> there's there's going to be... Lo- Actually, Bill Sweeney, to be fair, I can't put him in that category. I just don't like him. I'm not saying he's completely incompetent. Darren Childs definitely fall, falls into that category. <laughs> so again, keep your powder dry. This is yeah. gold. Um, yeah, I love it. And yeah, that's that's where we're at. Um, let's get on to the Six Nations then, because okay. one of the bits of news today is that Alex Mitchell and Marcus Smith are both fit and available for England. Mm. There's some noise going from Ooh. somewhere. What's going on? Uh, me kicking things? Yes, I think yeah, it's okay. me kicking things. Gone. Go on. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Alex Mitchell and Marcus Smith are both fit and available and part of England's training squad this week ahead of the Ireland Test match. Nothing mm. really changes for me. Uh, uh, Mitch, Mitchell coming back does change Mitchell things. might just start I don't think Marcus Smith has a place in the team at this present moment in time so I think were Marcus Smith available he probably would have played 15 against Scotland yeah if if he had a full run in the Six Nations he'd probably be part of the squad I don't think, think that was the time I, th- oh, I, think I hadn't yeah. even considered that wow. because and I can't remember if I actually spoke about this but I, I was certainly thinking about this the, the selection of Furbank um, at 15 was most similar to the selection of Marcus Smith against Fiji in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Mm. Because when Marcus Smith is injured, Furbank is the most similar in the squad to um I'd not to even clock, I'd not even Smith. thought that. I just kind of isolated that Marcus Smith experiment to within the World Cup because he only had 33 men and No, yeah, I think it's maybe I think it's part it of a more, broader broader, yeah. broader plan. And I guess Scotland and Fiji there are certain similarities that those two teams have. As in, they have devastating running threats. Neither team particularly kicks to compete, which is where Freddie Stewart is yeah. most useful. So, yeah, yeah. I'm and not it's, it's convinced though that I'm just thinking it's through that Marcus Smith is a better fullback option than Furbank. Oh, I'm not saying that. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm saying not even sure he's better second place. Saying that had he been, had he been fit and available, I'm saying that the only selection that we've seen under Borthwick that was similar to that was the Marcus Smith mm. selection. And if Marcus Smith is injured, the most like Marcus Smith yeah. to play that most able to play that Marcus Smith role at fifteen would be Furbank. Do you think though, had Marcus Smith been fit from the start of the Six Nations, 
that George Ford would have still started that first match against probably against Italy because he he did if if we go again back to the World Cup when Faz was banned in the Argentina game it was Ford so yeah, yeah there's no, there's no right. reason not to I think you're probably right I, I will mention the YouTube channel now I've done a video earlier mm. this evening Ooh. talking about these changes so Egg Chasers Rugby on YouTube um, help me get towards uh, I don't know where are you now six figures S- just seventy one thousand. So yeah, yeah. Six figures. enough about the money you made this month. How <coughs> how, how many subscribers? <laughs> um, yeah, it's going all right. It's going going well. Um, but yeah, so come and come and subscribe and have a, have a watch and get stuck in there. But I kind of had it in my mind that Marcus Smith were, is the guy that he's gonna they're gonna hand the keys to. But I think I think you might have a point. Well, do you know on the Marcus yeah. Smith fullback thing, you don't think that's just because of a compressed squad for the World Cup? That's what I it, assumed. It, it, it could be, and I. I until and I Furbank saw, wasn't playing yeah. the way he played this season. Yeah. But until I saw Furbank at fifteen against Scotland, and then I was like, right, what are the similarities? Mm. And there are some similarities between Scotland Ooh, and Fiji. Um, so it then might be more of a tactical thing. Uh, one of the times rises, I think it was Stuart Barnes this week. Ben Earl at twelve. Oh God, that's no. Right. He, he doubled down on that. By the way, he did a whole. Like, there was so much, so many people giving Stuart Barnes so much stick for saying Ben Earl should be twelve, and not saying. Had Stuart Barnes said, "Could we convince Saracens to give this a go, and and play him at 12? What he actually said was, "Against Ireland, Ben Earl should start Art. at twelve. So, and 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 then and then he had he's had another article since saying. Uh, I know I've had a load of stick, but I absolutely believe in what I said. I like his conviction. Can I just say on Stuart Bonds, I, I have, yeah, he is a guy that watches a tremendous amount of rugby. So I'm kind of hesitant to say anything negative about his rugby knowledge. I, sometimes it's crazy and wild, but you know, at least he's got an opinion and yeah. you kind of mm. right yep. to point that out. But how can you not, a man of his, of you know, of his experience in the game, draw the comparison from when another great rugby player was moved from back row to centre. Michael Hooper. Richie Vernon. Richie Vernon, Michael Hooper, Sam Burgess. (laughs) Now, you'd argue that Sam Burgess's experience in rugby league is far more suited Mm. to a a whole career played at back row. And he didn't make it work. So why does he think that moving... Ben Earl to 12 would make it work. You're right, Michael Hooper didn't make it work. We've had loads of back row that moved around. Bergamasco didn't exactly make it work. Uh, Scrum Hoff. I mean, that's slightly different, to be fair. But it's just not going to happen. They are specialists for reasons. And it's it's something I spoke about on the pod previously. This is an English problem in that there are players... Like, Ben Earl is not massive. No, he's not. He's really not massive. Um, he's listed as six foot and one hundred and five kg, which is uh, it'd be smaller than someone like Manu or Esther Hazen or Stuart McCloskey or um, Jonathan Dante as big, solid, robust centres. But he never had this, and I, I think this is true of him and of Sam Simmons, who's a similar stature. They never had the skill set growing up um, to be able to branch out into those positions. And therefore, it was never an option for them. Were I, I think Ben Earl, had he been playing centre from the mm. age of 15, probably could have been one of the best. He would be a Jonathan Dante-style centre or a Laumapi-style centre. I'm not convinced center. you're right on that, actually. Um, because playing centre is very formulaic. Um, 
you know, you tend to have to be in, in, in similar positions, similar times of the game. I think Sam Simmons and Ben Earl, particularly Ben Earl, when he's playing at his absolute best, the reason he's so good is because he knows his position so well, he can manufacture places for him to be, which will... Yeah, no, Phil's talking about a sliding doors where he would have been, he would have grown up playing that position and therefore would know it inside yeah, but out like, as well. If you are... Yeah, but there's more flexibility given to you of where to be on the field in the back row than there is in the, in the centres. Like in the centres, you've just got to be somewhere. That is yeah. de- so that is definitely true, yeah. and yeah. That's, that's I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I'm saying his handling and his kicking are not. Oh, uh, his kicking is would be miles off, miles <laughs> and, and, and it, miles and miles off. And this this is the problem that England have. This is why there is one or two um, English players playing 12 in the Premiership every week because we and more recently Steve Borthwick has identified um, probably because he listens to us yeah, almost because there are, there are a few players who get to 21, 22, 23 in England and have the combination of mm. the size, the strength, the speed the and, the, and the ability to kick, to pass, to distribute, to read things and it's that combination that I think is it seems to be missing in England. Yeah, it's little things. You, know, you, you watch, I think of a player, Mark Atkinson play, right? Mm. The way he plays 12, he's not the most powerful. He's a big, a big he's, boy. Yeah, but he's, he's not big. a powerful bloke. Nope. So everyone thinks just because you're big, you're powerful. That isn't right. But he understands exactly the timing to get his hands free, exactly the angle to be, you know, exactly the depth to be. It's a lot harder than just saying, yeah, you're a good runner. Here's the ball, go and play 12. Yeah, and he's, he's got a superb skill set. Yes, uh, his, he has. His distribution, his deft offloading, his um, wide and short and long kicking game, he's got all those skills that many, many people of his size do not have by the now, time they get to that age. If, if Stuart Barnes's intention was to spark a conversation, get people talking about the rugby pages in the Times, job done. Yes, 100%. Yeah, well, I mean, only if, if only makes people that know who Ben Earl is. <laughs> Otherwise, it makes no if, sense uh, whatsoever. If he, <laughs> it, I, I would question... The um, I would question the decision if the, it is a genuine. I mean, if if it is a an honestly <laughs> held opinion, fair enough. Like That's so, lunacy, good, isn't it? Good to have an opinion. If it's an honestly it's, held opinion, it is lunacy. It's lunacy. Next week, yeah. it's is the kind Next, of thing that that's had the point. Yeah, yeah, had it have been implemented, uh, Benel's twenty six now. Had it have been implemented, say six or seven years ago. You could make it work. Ben, ben Earl's off to play Mitre Cup for a season to work on his 12 skills. Okay, yes. I'll take that seriously. Exactly. Not for Ireland next week, though. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I hadn't thought about them. Um, I think you're probably right. George Ford probably will start against uh, Ireland. Definitely. I would have thought so. 100%. I'd be su- I would be very surprised if you did. So, didn't. let's talk about another Times columnist, Stephen Jones, mm. who thinks the only way England can beat Ireland is with the big boys. And he lists it. And which big boys does he list? Because well, Cunning, Cunningham himself, I think he might have listed him, and that was probably one of the areas I would go. Two of the players he lists: oh, Billy V. And Manning. oh my god, what? No, he didn't. <laughs> give you my no word. Way. Is that today? Uh, it might be today. Actually, oh, let me have a quick look. Yes. I, I think I, that I, is I, Billy, Billy V. So I was a big Billy V. fan for a long period of time. Yeah. I was a huge fan of him because I, I remember games four or five years ago, and I think I listed some of these on the pod, where you look down the metres made for the English pack, including the bench, so five players on the bench, and all of them put together made fewer metres in total than Billy V. Yeah. 
And so he was the only heavy ball traffic carrier that England had for such a longer period of time. And he was sensational at it. He is not the player. He, so being 130 kg and dynamic um, doesn't always treat you well when you reach 30, 31, 32. I, really, I think there are some big boys in the Premiership that have been unfairly overlooked. Will Collier being one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I do want George Martin back in. Well, uh, those so the four yep. lists are Marler. Well, I suspect there's some place for Marler. Yes, because Marler didn't start. Manu and Martin, Scotland. and I completely agree with him on Martin. Totally I com- agree with him. Completely agree on Martin. Yeah, I mean Martin is the antidote to all sorts of things. Actually, he's he's very good. Well, he can do some of the work that Courtney Laws cannot yeah. cannot do now. Martin, yeah. Martin's performance against it was the South Africa in the semi final. Yeah. That was things. An, all time his hitting power as well is remarkable for such a big man how low he gets so that, yeah. I mean a couple of those can turn a game I tell you what I wouldn't mind him really smashing into McCarthy on, on the charge just to see how it works out I, mean, I don't know who's going to win it but I, I want to see it I'd be fascinated to see that yeah. matchup yeah. Uh, but McCarthy's got to be on at full tilt and Martin's got to be at the perfect body angle and just yeah. see see what happens watch what I just wanna, oh yeah wouldn't you love to watch that and someone gets caught in the middle of it <laughs> running, running a demi line, no. Uh, <laughs> Scrum half running the door. So I think we're all, we're all agreed it'll be pretty much the same in the pack, except for George Martin will come in. Maybe Chesham and Martin to start. Genge started against Scotland, didn't he? Uh, I think Genge needs to disappear for a while and so, work on his game. Yeah, Barno is in the squad. I don't think Genge will start. I'll no. put it that way. No, I don't think he will. I think I think he needs to really reappraise how he plays the game, and maybe leave Bristol. He I, he needs to work on his attitude. Correct, correct. Um, a is a good shout. Mm. Massive bloke, very, very strong. Where's the downside? I tell you what I like about a Um He is the guy I want to carry the ball when you're in a pick-and-go situation and he goes hunting for it. Mm. So I was watching Bath and some of the lads did not want to go near oh, that yeah, ball. yeah, you mentioned that. And Obano yeah. did want to go near the ball. I was thinking, like, there's a handful of guys you need now to get that extra yard. Obano is... Definitely one of them. Abano and Tom Dunn is very good at that. Yeah, in those. That, team. that to me is yeah. That to me is um, the opposite of a red flag. Get that guy in. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Marla start. Uh, definitely, definitely. There's got to be space for Martin. But then, how do you make the space for Martin? You, I would probably I put Otoji prob- at six. I would put one of those second rows: Chess and Martin or, or Otoji. One of them at six. Yeah, yeah. So you have the three of them, and then Roots drops out. Roots drops he, out. He had, yeah. Roots had a good game against Italy. But then he's been fairly anonymous besides that. Yeah. Um, and obviously you make ch- space for Chandler Cunningham South by moving Ben Earl into the centres. Yeah, like obviously. Um, no real chuckling through it outside of... Underhill. Underhill. Well, Earl. Huh? What about Ben Earl? Earl, yeah. Ben Earl. Ben Earl has that, to play, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Has to play. Centres. Has to play, centre. Um, <laughs> and then I'd... Mitch, okay. Mitchell... I mean, I might go Mitchell Smith and just, well, what the heck. But actually, I'm not I'm quite happy no, with Ford. Mitchell Ford. I, w- I would probably, and some people are saying that Elliot Daly's had a, I think he's had a good Six Nations. Uh, yeah, I do. I think, I think he's been he's, good, but nevertheless, I would probably start favourite There was something he did, and I can't remember who it was against, and he didn't look like Elliot Daly to me. It, he was one-on-one with someone, maybe at Scotland, he just tries to go around the outside, and he couldn't do it. Was I, it maybe Cal? Maybe it was Scotland. Did he play Scotland? Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. He just didn't look himself. I think at the least he's the perfect boy to wear twenty three. He is mm. very handy. not Slade. Very handy for twenty three. No, Slade would be thirteen for me. Yeah, not Ollie Lawrence. No. Well, because who goes twelve? If Manu, no, no. no. 
Dingwall. Dingers. Yeah. Ding, Dingwall, Lawrence, or Lawrence Slade. I think those, Dingwell, are, your, those are your choices. Yeah, I think Dingwall, Lawrence. Some would say Freeman at 13, but um, maybe... No, Freeman going, stays on the wing. Maybe that's how you make room for favourable, so putting Freeman mm. at 13. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I do think Freeman stays on the wing. Yeah, just stick people where they're good. <laughs> it's, it's not a hard concept. Stick them where they're good. Where, Dingwell where, might not be your best player in total, but... He's the best 12 in he's the squad because he's 12. just about the only 12 yeah, in the squad. Just, just leave him be. Just let him develop into that role. So we may we may have variations on, on the line, but we're broadly, like, okay, within a margin of error of a couple of spots. But fullback, Furbank, Stewart, make the call now. Who do you pick? Well, Daly. <laughs> yeah, okay. If you want to make room for Bosa, <laughs> because I tell you what, he's maybe he's not that good without Farrell. But when him and Farrell were on song and he's hitting the line and, you know, attacking from 15... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. He is dynamite. I mean, he does operate for that 15 jersey so much better than he does at, does at 11 or 14. Mm. Yes, you could play that. I'm going to. I'd go, probably I'm have, say, I'd have uh, daily as number 23. I'd have Boso and Freeman on the wings. And then, I'd like to, I'd like to see uh, Freeman, uh, Freeman, Furbank get another shot. So would I, because he's been playing so well in the Premiership. And why pick a guy for one game and then back out again? Yeah, whatever it was that was behind the reason to put him in in the first place. Yeah, persist with it because the England, surely the England backline cannot be that. They can't no. have dick fingers like the way they did last week. No, again. that was particularly bad. Yeah. But I think the reality is, it's kind of immaterial. Because Ireland are just going to crush them, unfortunately. Yeah, and and that was the other thing I thought about, and which I uh, touch on in the video that I did earlier. Um, Edges rugby, go and go and subscribe. Mm. Uh, no, it is I, I went if all Irish players are fit, you could probably name right now and reel them straight off thirteen guys that would that you know would start. Yeah, and yeah. there'd be maybe two positions on the field where there's a decision to make. Whereas yeah. England, I went. Who I was thinking, who isn't like absolutely nailed on? And I think I got to four spots in the team. Who are you Jamie for? George, Jamie George, Maru Itoji. Itoji's mm-hmm. in there. Ben Earl will be in, but you don't know what exactly what shirt. Probably eight or twelve. And and I went Alex Mitchell. Although you could say that's a, not actually that no. sure because, no, because, because you said everyone fit. Yeah, because if Port, Van Portfleet's back, then so there's a question. Three then. I don't think. I don't think. Yeah, I, I don't think there's Slade's anyone else. Not that's nailed. Lawrence nailed is not nailed, on. and certainly. I think Lawrence probably is nailed. Ford? It's what, in what shirt? In what shirt? Ford? I think Ford's in. I I think he probably is, but it's not 100%. It's not, it's not nailed on in the way that Jack Crowley is for Ireland. Yeah. 
Jack Crowley, look at that. And me, well, he's only played three games. Yeah. I know, exactly. He won the won the URC with Munster, and then didn't get, didn't play in the World Cup, which cost Ireland. Never yeah. lost in an Ireland jersey. Is he not? No. God, they could have done with him. When, when the, he's uh, played, it's because he didn't come off the bench. He didn't come off the bench against New Zealand. Tell you what, they could have d- done with him in a quarterfinal if he's never Massive lost an Ireland. Sexton was out on his feet in the last half hour of that New Zealand game, and. Uh, yeah. That is going to be one of the all-time massive sporting administrative, uh, sporting administrative errors, yeah. which is holding on to Sexton as long as he did. But from, as one as, the, from one of the yeah. all-time best coaches as yeah. well, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, Farrell yeah. will go down as a superb coach, but that's a hell of an error. But as Phil mentioned, had Jack Crowley come on after 50, 55 minutes and Ireland lost... No, no. As I said, like you don't, oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't lose your job yeah. for keeping yeah, exactly yeah. That. It's exactly Sexton that. on the field. You yeah, do yeah. for taking him off and it losing. Was, it was yes. you that said it, yeah. He'd have, gone, he'd have been absolutely Pillared. pulled over the coals. Yeah. Right? yeah. But he's still got a job. I mean, <laughs> you know, at, at some point you've got to make a tactical decision. How do I lose this and keep my job? Uh, Mike, <laughs> Mike Cat is leaving the Irish setup at the end of this season. Is he? Hmm. Where's he going? D- don't know. He's coming back to England, that's all we know. But he's, he hasn't actually got a job to come back to, I don't believe. Mm. And it's not as if well, certainly not one announced. Yeah. Yeah, and it, there's no obvious... Ma- at Mike Cat's holes in any Premiership teams that I can think of. No, but a lot of people have questioned England's attack. Mm. Who have England got lined up for the attacking role? Well, Richard Wigglesworth has had that role for a while now. And then is is it right? Because Sinfield was announced that he was stepping down, but then yep. he's still in the coaching he's, setup. He's around, yeah. But is I think he's doing something like skills mm. coach. So he's doing like a really narrow role, which is basically like warm up drills. Mm. So that that might be a Mike Cat shaped hole. Yeah, I wonder if he was going to do something in club rugby. Do you know what? I used to love Mike Cat as a player. He's been one yeah. of my favourite players in the 2003 World Cup <sighs> when it was so like good. a quarter final against Wales. Yeah, yeah. bring him off yeah. the bench just to steady the ship, calm things down, get us in the right p- part of the field. Well, he's a guy who never had a position. They what he start 10, 12, 15, 15, played on the wing. 10. He started for England. His first ever game as winger, I, I think. Wasn't didn't he get run over by Jonah Lomu in one of his yes. one of the Lomu tries yes, he when he was, he was wearing he was fifteen was he fifteen then moving twelve up to dynamite I loved him yeah then. he was a hell of a player hmm. yeah right um, other games or because the island team you don't really, it, well, it's just I mean. whether like Keegan's fit or not. Yeah, they've got different selection problems, haven't they? So very much. So. In some cases, you're thinking, who on earth play? Who on earth carries the ball for England? Who on earth plays twelve? The island selection problems are like, which of our world class locks do we select? Yeah. Yeah. Which no, one is going to be on the bench? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which of our world class locks am I going to have to say they're not in the match day twenty three? Yeah, because you have got McCarthy and Byrne, Ryan and Ryan Hendo. Hendo, and then you have got Ryan Baird, who, who can do. Ryan Baird can do just. He might be the most talented of the lot. Yeah. Do you reckon? He's he's so talented. He's just he could be a, he so could be young. an international. Talk about play, play, uh, forwards playing in the backs. I think he could probably do the job <coughs> as an international on the wing. He could too. He's yeah, rapid. Yeah. He could be the new Radiki Samo. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, McCarthy's having the bloody torn, torn, uh, tournament of tournament of the decade uh, at the moment for a ball carrying lock. Mm, yeah. So I'm not going to drop him, and then. Well, which way do you go? The potential island... Well, the guy who everyone assumed would be the island captain um, in Ryan or... Um, Byrne. Byrne is just yeah, yeah. a world-class operator. Byrne's, Byrne's basically warrior. undroppable. He's undroppable. Six. 
I don't know. I don't know. Burning six because the, the back row options are so good as well. Omani, Baird, Conan, Doris, Van der like, Jack Conan. I mean, just to have that guy coming off the bench. Right, yeah. I'm gonna ask just, a really controversial question now, right? Yeah. Now, you just listed those guys. And I think, yeah, they're really good. They're really good because they've had time in the Irish jersey and time in good systems. Just say if you split them up and divide them up into, say, oh, I don't know, random number, 10 teams. Um, how many of those guys would then make it as internationals? Do you think they'd all make it or do you think they'd all get lost in the system? Do you think you'd have a completely different set of players? Do you think they're, they're a product of all playing together and being in the system? Well, okay, they were so like their I, class. I know Phil was just about to come in. I'll just say there's one example where they were outside to a degree of that Irish setup, and that's with the British and Irish Lions. And Jack Conan was the starting number eight for the Lions in South Africa. Mm. He was awesome. So, and he's a guy that doesn't get into the starting team for Ireland. Yeah, fair. Mm. But I just wonder. Dor- if it, Doris would absolutely be the best player in his team. I don't it, know his answer. I mean, he would. I, I just think he is a Rolls Royce of a player. Do you know, like the way that players who are born in September become better than players that are born in yeah. January? For I'm not going to go into it, but it's, yeah, that, that that effect, which was um, made famous by Malcolm Gladwell, yeah, it, it he turns out to be a bit of a grifter, but yeah, nevertheless, it, well, and that the effect disappears. Like he he, he cherry picked data from um, Canadian under twenties ice hockey, like it disappears when you get to. Um, professional level level athletes. Oh, does it? Yeah. Oh well, yeah. normally that. So it is true at age grade because they're bigger. Yeah. Okay. But then it disappears because you. you but then the, the theory talent. is because they're, they're bigger, they get better coaching because they're always selected and so more so opportunities. And, all that and I just yeah. wonder, like with the Irish guys, did they make? Do they make the the, like, the Lions team? Because yeah, okay, they're they're equally as good, say physically. But then the fact they're in these high performance, absolute top end systems all of the time, their entire career, is that what propels them to that next five well, percent? I suppose that comes back to the English school system. Well, no, I think it comes on to and the pathways, like, the professional system, doesn't it? The mm, professional club yeah. system, because the, the Irish all go to private school. I mean, they're all hanging around Blackrock College or something. Yeah, so yeah. it's not at schoolboy level. I don't think it's that much different. But then that professional level it is a bit different because the Leinster team is effectively the Ireland team. Yeah. You're in Leinster. It's only a matter of time before you're wearing green. I, I think and it, it's Ben Darwin's point on cohesion. I think so, yeah. Uh, I, th- I think there is something in that. You distribute the talent uh, because of the salary cap broadly evenly or semi-evenly across 10 teams. There will be less cohesion than if 80%... Because uh, the IRFU... Um, to a degree, manipulate so that they get the best players playing together. Mm. Um, and then if there is surplus players, say, um, like Jordy Murphy would be a good example, who became, say, the sixth or seventh choice back row for a period of time, well, then they don't need him in Leinster. He can go off to Ulster and play there. So, How do you account for Bundyaki? Uh Well, because he was brought in by Pat Lamb, wasn't he? He was, but then they lost... Robbie Henshaw, didn't they? They did, to, oh, um, to Leinster. I don't, I don't know, if I know enough about Irish rugby, so someone would have to tell me this. Uh, because it will take us off down a, a tangent, maybe I'll just little plant a seed <coughs> and we could cover this off in the Patreon podcast, but you mentioned Bundyaki. That seems to have sparked um, lots of conversations and accusations huh? uh, this week. Well, and actually Duan van der Merwe as well. There was a Telegraph article, I think it was Telegraph, anyway, it was an article that, uh, on Monday this week saying decrying the qualification process of rugby and that actually 
guys that aren't of that nationality playing rugby for their adopted <sighs> country is uh, it's just, just soured. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've heard this before. I don't care. I know, I know but that's what I mean. Yeah. Doing this, there's it's a time. To, there's a time to have that conversation. And I think it's a, a, a totally legitimate conversation to have. Whatever opinion you have on it, doing it on a Monday morning after Duan van der Merwe scores a hat trick against England, <laughs> yeah, probably, probably not the best but time yeah, to just do. Sour it. The, the, the only score you got to write is congratulations, Duan, you absolute animal. And then have the conversation when they. When I agree with that actually. Um, what, one, but, co- what, but the conversation about Duan that I think is more interesting in the wake of that is if he were. Um, if he hadn't played for Scotland and were eligible for the Springboks, would he make their would he make their matchday team? Because there's a lot of South African fans that are just saying no, not not a chance because he's too slow. We, we look at what happened when he played for the Lions. Okay. We worked. He's him out, not too slow. Kicked over okay. him. He might not think quick enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't see any evidence of that. But maybe in the early years he might not be thinking quick enough, and that's a real thing. Can you think fast enough for international rugby? Can you make that snap decision in order to apply your talents to the best of your ability? That's a real thing. Joe Cocker, a singer. I speak about this at, at length. I see no evidence that Duan van der Merwe is too slow for South Africa. Where I do think he wouldn't fit in South Africa is he's not one of these lads that gets in the air, gets airborne, and chases kicks. Yeah, and that is more valuable to South Africa than someone who scores three tries. Ironically, because they're not going to score three tries because yeah. they don't play like that. They they did work him out a little bit in that Lions series. They just they, they kicked over him, and he and, and, he, yeah. and he was all at sea. Well, that's kind of my point, isn't it? What do they value? Kick chasers. You know, they've got the world's best kick chasers, and they're awesome at it. They are absolutely awesome. So in the same so, way, when you look back at those the, the old footage, like Jonah Lomu had some unbelievable... I was about to mention this. He was incredible. Like, the guy was a, a freak, a physical freak, incredible athlete. Very few of his highlight moments that you see were against South Africa. Well, the, what, what mm. I was going to mention well, is did when... He, the, did he never score again? There's something about him... Is that really? I think he might never have scored against South Africa. Wow. Well, that, well, what I was going to mention is that the Australians kicked to him. So the Australians kicked to him and had Joe Roth and Ben Tune, I think it was, or Paul Burke, um, jumping all over him and Chris Latham. Because I'm sure it is Joe Roth, actually. Just put the ball high and we'll just jump up wherever he is. And it was really, di- <laughs> a really difficult day in the office. Here we go. Joe Lomu's... Um, Play um, international performances and international tries. So he played 63, scored 37 tries. He played against Australia 13 times and scored six tries. England played seven, scored eight. <laughs> France played eight, scored four. Ireland play, played four, scored three. Uh, Scotland played six, scored seven. South Africa played 12, scored one. Zero. Wow. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Imagine they, they they did target him. They are a massively. Pr- they are a prideful bunch and, and quite physical as well. Oh, this is the most physical winger in the world. Okay. Oh, oh really? <laughs> Let's see. Uh, just on the point around um, eligibility, and I, I'm very. I, I don't really care about the eligibility. Three years felt fine. Five years felt fine. Um, I think the move to allow people to represent countries of their birth. Um, That's a not good move. Really it's Generally, a good move. One thing I will say about Scotland is, so they they are phenomenal at identifying and bringing in players from elsewhere who have either got Scottish um, ancestry or kind of project players. Their foundations are not stable, and by that I mean they are consistently getting hammered, including by Italy in the under twenty six nations, 
and they've been relegated two years ago. They got relegated from the under-20s World Cup. So they are no longer in the wow. top, top 12 teams. So when you see the sheer number of South African or um, Australia, New Zealand, or indeed English mm. um, born and raised players in the Scotland team, that is fine for the Scotland team, but it's not long-term I'm gonna make, great foundations. Right. I'm not entirely sure that a good under-20s team means anything anymore. You always hear about these devastating under-20s teams. Italy have had one for a long time, and they just don't... I'm starting to think they might be a waste of money. They're just a vanity project for various unions, because there's there's a lot of evidence that backs this up, even if most of it is circumstantial and hearsay, nevertheless. Uh, So Ed Ed Slater was talking about the interview given by Conor O'Shea, which effectively says, oh yeah, okay, we've got the under-20s and they're going to feed through and there's going to be con- continuity into the A's and then into the full England team. You've got Wales, who are often really good at under-20s, but that doesn't necessarily c- come through all the time. Scotland, who are rubbish, and they're doing pretty well. I just think it's probably not a great way to spend your money. Um, I, so I, th- I think there will be, I think there is. And so... As a great example, in the last 16 years, or 15 years that it's run, 16th will be this year, um, South Africa have only once not made the semi-finals. Is that right? Yeah. Um, Whereas whereas Wales, for example, they've only made the semis three times, and that was 10 years ago. Um, New Zealand, this is an interesting one, New Zealand have comfortably won the most. They have, until two years ago, they had only, again, once not made the semi-finals. The last two years, they've been seventh twice. Crikey. So quarterfinal, quarterfinals. Mm. That is not good. Similarly, England, historically very good. Last couple of years have been poor. France have uh, won the last three. And Ireland have been. Ireland have suddenly got a good team in the last I few years. I think I'd need to spend a little bit more time thinking about this because yeah. I wonder if it just depends on your geography. So England under-20s, for instance, you are rife for poaching from the other home nations. In yeah. fact, all the home nations are rife for poaching off each other. If you're in South Africa, you're fairly well isolated. There's no, Zimbabwe, I'm going to come, come Scot- calling. Scotland. Scotland might. Scotland yeah, yeah. Or, or, um, or England. I or, mean, New Zealand, New Zealand, you're so isolated down there. It's very. I bet there's a lo- I bet there's lots of p- players who have played under-20s for New Zealand who have subsequently gone on to play for, for Tonga, Fiji, or yeah. Samoa. Or indeed Australia. Like um, Daniel Tupu, he was New Zealand. Um, I'm sure he grew up in New Zealand, but went well, across Well, they do to, say, don't they, that there's more... New Zealanders playing for the islands, islands, and vice versa. Despite yeah, yeah. What all the criticism is, well, that's what that's what New Zealand say. The stats do back it up. As in, there's more New Zealand-born players play for maybe less so Fiji, but certainly Tonga and Samoa. Yeah, but the really good Islander guys, the ones that matter, the ones that the matter, matter <laughs> get pinched. Play, play like Bill Fiji. Matter. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> quite. Um, well, no, but and bringing this back down to grassroots rugby. I think you could make the argument that maybe under twenties isn't as big an indicator of the success or otherwise of a of a na- how a national team's going to be. I think mm. you can make that point. And one thing I think I think I might have said this before. I do. Th- I would love it if there was a mindset shift in rugby union where Colts teams became almost the biggest team at a club. Absolutely at not. A rugby club. Not interested. <laughs> first team and Colts should first be team. Joined. Yeah, first team hundred percent. First team Colts should. I, I almost. I would love crowds of. And this is what, and the reason I mention this is because um, this is what it's like at rugby league clubs. I, I wonder if Ooh. all of the old boys, all of the alakadoos at the club, all the, all the old fellas will will 
take a massive interest in who how are the under 16s getting on and then how on a minute which and the under 18s is a massive deal is it under 18s or is it older than that no i think it's under 18s oh is it because i i can see an argument for under 21s being a huge deal but then is like under 21s kind of these well, under 20s with, maybe. with strength and conditioning yeah like, you should, be a fir- you should be a first team. Yeah, player, if you if you're good enough at age 19, mm. you should be a first teamer. So, so what? What Col- Colts is in the 19s, Un- under 18s? It? Yeah, it's it? like it's A levels, isn't it? Yeah, once, you, you once can you, e- finish your you can either do junior Colts and senior Colts, under 17s, under 18s, or you can just play them as a two year. Yeah, it's it is under 19s. I'm sure it's, we used to do under 19s because I remember going back from uni a couple yeah, of times. Well, because well. I, I was. My birthday's early. Uh, sorry, late in the I year. I think it is, though. I don't think it so. might have changed. I think it's changed. I think Col- Colts it was under eighteen. Colts. So twenty years ago, so when you leave sick form, when when you, yeah. when you would go, traditionally, if you follow the nat- natural pathway, when you leave school after A levels or whatever it is you do, GMVQs or whatever they do now, and you may go off to university or go and get a job, that's that's the point of where Colts ends. I think it was different. Though. I think it might have been under nineteen. Cause, I think it might cause be right. Yeah, because I I certainly played. I remember coming back from uni a couple of times. In my first year, um, and playing Colts um, for big big games. Like maybe maybe games it changes a different count, but that's certainly how the setup is in Lancashire now. I think because mm. yeah. we've just had to enter the team for next year, and the question was, do we want to join with the year the age yeah. group above S- and senior play, Colts or junior Colts? Do we want to play Colts or play junior Colts? Yeah. So what have the boys decided? Uh, junior Colts. Junior Colts. And we also had to say they, they said what what tier of competition because suddenly Lancashire joins with Cheshire at that point oh so, okay yeah so it's a proper league structure there'll be a national cup at that level as well yeah I know that? and so it's like right what, what tier do you think you should be in and top we, tier top we said t- uh, top tier we yeah. always back ourselves at home so we always back ourselves so we'll go with uh, go with Macclesfield and Wilmslow and all the all the big guns is that yeah. uh, Macclesfield King's School today King's Mac, Ooh, King's Mac. Bloody hell! It's a hell, it's an incredible facility. Oh, really? It's like nothing I've seen for a long time. I mean, it's very, very modern. It is massive. Uh, my daughters were playing hockey there, mm. and it's right opposite the rugby club. Oh, okay, like yeah, literally yeah. right next to it. Yeah, incredible yeah. school. It's awesome. Talk, Heavy pitches. Oh, I guess it'd be astroturf, won't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you see what match it was yesterday? In the Regional Two Thames League, Regional Two, oh, it was Marlow against Aylesbury. <laughs> it was Marlow against Aylesbury. It wasn't a good. Get, it wasn't a good day for all people that love rugby. There's like, <laughs> there's, there's like a small enclave of, of England that enjoyed this, but outside of that, it was yeah, it was a sad day. It was a sad day for all involved. Well, it's just kind of down. Well, I think Falarians are are going to get relegated, but it's down there towards the bottom of the table and the mighty Marlow. Managed to pull themselves ahead of Aylesbury on points difference. Ooh. First time in history that's in, happened in the uh, in the table down there in ninth and tenth. Yeah, and, it's uh, like um, the last battle, isn't it, of um, Lord of the Rings, like good versus evil. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, apparently um, Aylesbury was struggling for players this weekend, which is a shame. Um, I've had a few selection headaches. And, um, well, I, I'm not saying Marlow have some guys in the army playing. I'm not saying that, but maybe they have some guys from the army playing. Maybe they've got a few, I don't know. Maybe they've got a few Fijians or something. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't I'm, matter. It doesn't I'm, matter. Congratulations, Marlow. I, I'm going to mention one uh, local match. which uh, is, There's a really interesting story bubbling away, and I'm just going to make sure I know what league is. It is the Regional 1 Northwest. Regional so, 1 Northwest. 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 Okay. Is that level 6 or level 5? Or level six? That's level five. I think it's level five. So 
Yes, so at the bottom of the table, it's looking like a very interesting finish to the season. At this point, there's quite often a team, one team is away and they're gone. This one, there are there is one point separating the bottom three teams. <laughs> With three games to go, it's Leek bottom on 24 points, Sambach 11th on 25, and Northwich 10th on 25. Wow. And Sambach play Leek in the final game of the season. Okay, okay. Right, but yesterday what happened was Sambach played Northwich. Uh, so those the two of them are right down there in the relegation. Yeah, fight. and they're right next to each other. Well, not quite, but close. Yeah, they're not, very, not far away. Very, very close. Yeah. And the tight head prop for Sambach is a, is a mate of mine, and he was playing against his brother, who was the loose head prop for Northwich. Oh. Who's your mate? Theo. Do I know him? Well, how, how do you know? I know from Manchester Metropolitan University. He's one of the other coaches there. Ah, um, it's like the um, Marafu boys. Yeah, when they played for uh, one played for Australia and one played for Fiji. Yeah, I want to say Fiji, but I might be wrong. Yeah, they, they certainly one of them made their debut against the other one in international rugby. Yeah, so two brothers, one a tight head, one a loose head. Uh, clubs which are very close to each other, big rivals, in a relegation dogfight match yesterday. I it's pretty cool. I've played a whole game against Northwich. I don't think I got on the field against Sambach, or if I did, it was very, very, very quickly. Sambach have always been very, very good. Like they've always been one of those teams that kind of hovers between level six and level five. Yeah, they are pretty good. I, I never understand Northwich, though. For the life of me, I do not understand. So, do you know the setup of Northwich? No, not at all. Do you not? Okay, no. so Northwich, from what I remember, I'm sure be someone in Northwich will, will correct me. Northwich and Winnington Park are two of the closest teams that you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. I literally next to each other. Winnington Park have a clubhouse, but when I've played Winnington Park, I've always been down the leagues. Either Broughton Park got relegated or been with Tock H trying to climb the league. So, they've always been down there. Northwich play next door. On what looks like a school pitch, it might be a, it might be either it's either a school pitch or it is a leisure centre pitch, right? You change in a, in a leisure centre or a school. There's no clubhouse, and yet they're always level five or level six, always. Mm. So they're always like the senior club in in, in the area for reasons I, the, just, yeah, I just don't understand. Like, why nothing. would you go to that club rather than Winnington Park? I'm sure there's good reasons for the lads to play there, but I don't know what they are. So I've got a little uh, local story uh, from this week. Where um, Edinburgh Northern um, travelled to one of the final games of the season, they travelled down to Earlston in the Borders. And there was a five minute piece on this on uh, Borders TV, which was, <laughs> it was very good because they showed like two minutes of the game and then a couple of minutes um, chatting to the captains afterwards. Edinburgh Northern, so both teams needed to win to go to a cup final next week. And Edinburgh handily beat them 40 points to 10, scoring some nice tries in bad conditions. But the last three minutes of the video, which was talking to the two captains, was really good because they were talking about what it means to them, like how their how their seasons are going, how they're getting the boys down. One captain looking forward to final next week and the other like reflecting on his season. And the Earlstown captain was just... He basically did two minutes on the social side of the rugby club, saying we had a big social back end of last year where all the boys bought in, and this year it's been every away game, two minibuses, everyone kind of having a good time, getting together as a club. And it was just, 
I just really enjoyed listening to it. it you was, enjoyed this, listening to it. I enjoyed listening to it. Everyone of mine would enjoy listening to it. A lot of people would point to that being the problem with Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. So, well That's done, nice. Edinburgh Northern, and good luck for Cup Final next weekend. Uh, but it, it did strike me, with games like that coming up, that this is the point in the season where there are, there is some really interesting matchups going on. So let us know, please. Contact edchasers at gmail.com. I've already pointed out, in a few weeks' time, it's going to be... An a- a absolutely monumental match. Probably the loser will get relegated between Sandbach and Leek. Mm. And uh, I'd love to. I want to. I want to keep an eye on games like that. Yeah, we've, we've already right. had the mighty Marlow beating beating Aylesbury. These are the big games we need to mighty keep an eye Marlo. on. <laughs> um, I, I completely forgot to mention. So it'd be remiss of me not to just cap- circle back to England Island for a second mm. because we've got a really interesting stat from Rory, uh, and he's done that. He's written this out by hand and sent us a picture of this. Mm. Since 1997, so we're talking, I think, 26 matches in the Six Nations or Five Nations in that time between England and Ireland. In every single one of those 26 games, have I got that right, 26? Anyway, however from what, many years, From what year? From... 2000, and including, back, oh. back to and including 97. So, okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah 20, 26, 26 yeah, yeah. In every single one of those 26 games... The team in front at half time has won. Mm. There has not been a single occasion where a team has come back from a deficit, from a deficit, whether one point or, mm. or or whatever, and won it. So, so you're saying that Ireland are going to be up at half time then? <laughs> I think I probably am. <laughs> Thank you, Rory, for that. Contact techchasers at gmail dot com. Speaking of half time, full time uh, results. Did you see my beloved Hurricanes? against the Reds this weekend? Um, I didn't no. see that one. I did notice the Crusaders, now Scott Robertson has lo- uh, yeah. left, have started losing. They're back in the top Todd Blackadder era, or equivalent <laughs> to Todd Blackadder era. Um, uh, losing losing your fly half as well. Um, I'm just looking at your 38-33. Which was... Is he losing your fly half? <clears throat> what? Mwunga. Where is he? He's gone to Japan, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, that, that, yeah, that'll do it for you. Um... Yeah, so it was a draw at half-time. It was a draw at full-time. Oh, they had extra time, did they? Did they, they do the, that in Super Rugby now? They golden now point. do the golden point. So it was a, f- a try seven minutes into the 10-minute golden point. Yeah, Cam Royguard scoring a try in 60s. So it was yeah. 33 all at full-time. Yes. And wow. Geordie Barrett got red-carded with about 25 minutes to go as well. Geordie B. Oh, yeah. Good win for my beloved boys. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Uh, and the, the one of the games of the weekend as well. There was a couple, uh, Moana Pacifica against Fiji and Drua, which is a pretty cool fixture. Yeah, it is a cool fixture. Thirty-nine. Mark, well, Mark Evans will be devastated. Yeah, thirty-nine. Thirty-six. <coughs> Talking of Mark Evans, we'll be podcasting again this Tuesday. Economics. Fantastic. Economics. As it you're you're leaning into that. Yeah, you, he liked the name. I love the name, mate. Uh, it sounds like I've got no got no choice. I think Ego- it's a great name. Um, Economics. I don't London. E- Economics hyphen. The business of rugby. Yes, exactly. Well, I was in London this weekend, uh, this weekend, that wasn't, this Tuesday, um, meeting all sorts of interesting people. And the consensus from people at this meeting is like, they, they like the name. It's like, but, but, but it's just, okay, fine. I'm losing this <laughs> argument. <laughs> My favourite name for a podcast is Egg Chasers, but for pigeon racing. <laughs> yeah, the real Egg Chasers. <laughs> yeah. Egg Chasers was a great bloody name, wasn't it? It is a great name. 
Yeah, it, it is a great it's, name. It's lasted the test, test of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, more blowing smoke up our, up our own ass. Uh, other Six Nations games. What what yeah. what is it this weekend? It's uh, it's good question. France Wales. It is. Wales France. So there's no Friday night game. Scotland Italy. It is Italy hosting Scotland, yeah. England Ireland, and then in the Principality Stadium, Wales France on Sunday. On Sunday, three o'clock on Sunday. I have no interest in in Sunday games in Cardiff. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be. I just can't think of anything worse. Being like half cut on Friday a night, yes. Yeah, Saturday evening, yes. absolutely. I smashed in Cardiff on a Sunday. Oh no! <laughs> the best best game to go to would be Italy Scotland in Rome. Two o'clock kickoff in Rome. That's pretty. Finished cool. by half four. Yeah, and then you're out in Rome for the night. That'd Cardiff be just hasn't got the culture to pull off a Sunday. <laughs> I don't mean to be cruel, it just hasn't. It, you know, Unless there's a bank holiday. <clears throat> and le- yeah, well, that'd be a completely different... That's different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It I mean, can't be uh, on a school night. Wait, Cardiff, international rugby, on a school night, no. <laughs> just no. Yeah, it's just not that city. It, it knows what it is, and it's not that. Yeah. So predictions then. Italy hosting Scotland. Uh, Scotland. C- a relatively comfortable in the end away win, I think. I think probably in the end, yeah. Uh, England hosting Ireland. Uh, very comfortable away win. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think very. Com- I wouldn't go as far as saying very <laughs> comfortable. I will. Ju- I will come back from that and say comfortable away win. I think so maybe w- by twelve. Yeah, I think between two and three scores, it will be in the end. Hmm. Fortunately, yeah, maybe. And then Wales hosting France. France battered them. France. France have been bad. They have the been Six bad. Nations. They have, but I've got a feeling they're going to show up for this one. I also have a feeling they're going to. Sh- I think this is the one where they. Yeah, Wales have really house in order for Wales to get a close loss. They have to play at one hundred percent capacity. Everything has to go right for them. Yeah, you know, I really admire them. I do admire them, but they're not good. What I will say is Wales's defence has been inc- very well organised and worked incredibly hard. And France have stuttered a bit in attack. Mm. Not in any of their games, they've not scored many points. So it might be it'll be a game that Wales will suit. Oh, will suit Wales. Mm. The problem with that is, if France actually get their house in order, they could absolutely tear them apart, completely destroy a very young Wales team. Mm, agreed. Which I think is probably the most likely scenario. So there you go. I think we're all done here. Oh, do you want to talk about Stuart, Stuart Hogg uh, quickly? Or are we going to save that for the patron pod? Well, hey, I'm not going to say anything... That controversial. Oh, I'll tell you what. Say what you want to say about uh, about Stuart Hogg, um, and then if there's anything else we want to pick up on on the Patreon podcast, we can. Yeah. So Stuart Hogg's got arrested this week, and uh, well, first and foremost, we don't know anything about it. That's the most important thing. <laughs> we we literally don't know anything other than a disturbance outside the marital home, if that's the correct word for you know how he's paved in the past. Yeah, but, he's former know, former former marital home. home. Right? Well, yeah, former family home. Now, it's not good. That's the first thing I want to point out. This is not a good scenario. And Stuart Hogg, it is fair to say, with the recent press coverage he has had, has shown himself not exactly to be a family man. Would you agree with that? Like, he has got some weaknesses, and they mostly evolve well, around women. Well, he hasn't come out and talked about any of it. None of the people involved have come out and talked about any of it. Well, this, uh, particularly this all, actual case. All that the internet... No, well, no... I'd say in all of it, there is no one directly involved who has come out and said anything about it. About this case? No, about any of it. What, what do you mean any of it? 
Or well, any, he's, any, he's of the, split... any of the things which you're referring oh, to? Oh, I think people, there's, there's been many quotes about Stuart no, no. Hogg's behaviour. Yeah, no, there has. There's been no, many no, no, quotes, no, has. not from individuals involved. Yes, there has. Yes, there has. There, 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 there's been many pictures, many quotes, uh, many stories, many things confirmed from from individuals involved. From individuals involved, yes. From, I mean, from... you, you wouldn't need to you wouldn't need to look hard. I'm not going to look hard now, but let's just go with that. Just being a small side issue. We don't know anything about this latest arrest. We just don't. Okay. Now, because we don't know anything about it, I don't really want to uh, speculate about you know what the right course of action is for Stuart Hogg. But the reason I bring this up is because I just find this such a problem with rugby. I logged onto Twitter to find out what he had done. Because you know when you say, like, arrest, you think, okay, mm-hmm. well, in that case, they're not going to say it on the BBC, but someone might say it on, on Twitter. And what depressed me so much about this was just the attitude of, he is an absolute scumbag, he's no longer, you know, can we all now agree that he's never a Scotland great? Um, <coughs> questioning of the rugby ability. Almost like the joy on the online community. And these aren't like just like troll I mean they are trolls as in like they are but they are without doubt rugby accounts. They are people who they are people who participate in the rugby ecosystem in Twitter, which is why I'm so glad that I'm off it. But just almost like the joy and the want to bring down a a, a, um, a, a very successful rugby player. And I think when you're looking at sport, you have to partition the sportsman from his individual behaviour. Unless that individual portrayed a particular uh, impression and used that as a, for like commercial leverage. So but even so, I mean, like you know, say so. So, for example, let me just say, uh, it, David Beckham would have to be very, very careful about his behaviour because he is leveraged being a great dad and family. Exactly, man. but that's like his brand. Okay, yeah, so exactly. I'm happy to say, oh my, oh my word, what what an arsehole. Brand is a complete sham. Great at corners. Yeah, like, like I, outstanding. I, yeah, I would never ever question his footballing ability or his dedication to the sport or anything else. Actually, and I also don't want to see him. It's David Beckham. I also wouldn't want to see any man really be just crushed. And I think that's that's the thing which I found so upsetting about the Stuart well, Hogg thing. What I would say about the, the Stuart Hogg thing, you've already touched on it, is we don't know and i don't know how many more examples of we don't there, there need to be of situations where you don't know where the best course of action would be to shut up shut up don't say anything and wait and find out what the facts are juicy smollier for, <laughs> yeah. for, would be one prime example well, the covington kids i don't know how Hugo many... that's i mean well, that's no uh, no Hugo Monia. i mean look in this case the police have arrested and charged someone because the police tend to arrest and charge people who have done something wrong um I don't remember Ugo Monia or anyone else involved in that rowing it back because the police didn't charge anyone and they are no longer involved. Uh, you know, so you, you're right, Tim. People jump jump on bandwagons all the time before knowing what exactly has happened. Now, so I'm going to keep my counsel and say yeah. nothing because <laughs> I'd rather wait. I'll, 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 I'll give just... a comment and opinion if if I feel one is called on when there are facts. Yeah, I yeah. have nothing to say about the Stuart Hogg, Hogg, Hogg stuff other than the, the just the glee. And the want to destroy a man before the facts are known. It just, it's simply, I'm not sure if it disgusts me or it just irritates me. Well, th- th- one of the issues I have with it is those people you reference who have gone in. and They're all for mental health, by the way. Don't forget that. They, 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 they always double for mental health. Maybe it's, who knows, we don't know the facts. Maybe in the, in the fullness of time, those comments may be justified. But what one thing that frustrates me is what tends to happen on the occasions where those comments 
are contradicted by the facts, they never go back and go, I was wrong. Do, do you know what? I got that wrong. If anything, <laughs> they look for ways to try and actually demonstrate, oh, I, but I was right still. Oh, he wasn't a good bloke anyway. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and, you know, maybe, maybe, I'm, uh, maybe I'm just projecting here because uh, from what I understand, Stuart Hogg likes the ladies. Um, and I'm sure I that... Mean, every- he, he likes a drink as well. Maybe. He likes a drink and he likes the ladies. He loves his rugby uh, too. And I'm just not sure if I, love my, if I love my rugby and I love my drink that much and I'm a successful as successful as Stuart Hogg, that I wouldn't be any any better than Stuart Hogg, quite, quite frankly. But as I don't have ladies throwing throwing themselves at me, I, I, you know, I've never been in that situation, I wouldn't know. If you had that hair and those teeth. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Anyway. I, you know, just it, Same with... It's happened so many times, so many players, and I just, just wait and see what happens. Yes, absolutely. Well said. We do a Patreon then. Let's do a Patreon pod. Right, so yeah, for more content, and some of it may be spicy, uh, patreon.com forward slash egg chasers is where you can find us. That helps keep the keeps the, the lights on. Uh, if you appreciate the fact that we've been here every single weekend, and, and let, let me just remind you, we make sure there's a podcast every Monday, 52 weeks of the year, and sometimes that's while JB is in a hospital bed, while Phil's Indeed. in a desert on holiday, while I'm in a camper van travelling around France. All right, humble brag. <laughs> you, you're the only one who's not done it from a hospital bed. Because I have done it from a You've hospital bed as well. You've done it from a hospital well. bed as well. Yeah. Touch wood. I've not needed to do one <laughs> from a yet. hospital bed. But <laughs> Time if, to settle those scores. Yeah, <laughs> if I were in a hospital bed, rest assured I would do one. Um, I hope I don't have to, but yes. we'll see. But I will. And if you appreciate that fact... You can help keep the lights on and show your appreciation and get more content. Patreon.com forward slash egg chasers. Let the boys end. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.